In the previous episode, we noted that Othello is the only one of Shakespeare's plays to have a black protagonist. In this episode, we ask how race shapes Othello's identity and the meanings of the play. Farah Karim Cooper, Head of Higher Education and Research at Shakespeare's Globe and Professor of Shakespeare Studies at King's College London, helps us explore these questions. To bring the importance of race into focus, we start by asking how it would change the play if Othello weren't black. How might this play have been different if it was a white Othello as opposed to a black Othello? That is a really interesting idea to sort of think about because it does help us to really narrow in on what's at stake in the play. So you have that base sort of outline of the plot, which could happen in any kind of scenario and and, and probably has. <laughs> um, but it, if you think of it that way, it sort of empties the play out of some of its central meaning and the the most interesting tensions in the play because we're dealing with um, a world which is a multiracial society um, and that's what we have today um, where uh, white people have to live with uh, non-white people in the same social structure and so in doing so there may be interracial marriage uh, there may be racial tension, there may be racism, there may be racial hatred, which is something that we we know exists. Um, and so what makes this play sort of pregnant with meaning and and actually gives it the kind of social relevance it has now is the fact that Othello is a Black man. When you have this kind of um, major plot device, then there's a lot more at stake. It's It's about thinking about the moral ethic quality of a society. It raises questions about how different cultures can come together, um, whether interracial marriage is something that is appropriate or not, whether religion is the thing that can help us to decide what is right and what is wrong. These are really big questions that Shakespeare's playing with um, that I think would just not be there if, if Othello wasn't Black. Of course, Othello has numerous facets to his identity, He's an older man with experience travelling the world. He's also an accomplished general in the Venetian army. That's an amazing position to be in. He is a respected citizen who has dined with patrician families. Patrician families were the elitist families in Italy. Uh, And he has the commendations of the Duke himself. He's entrusted with keeping Venice safe from Turkish invasion. Othello's status and talents are reflected in the way he speaks. His language is highly poetic, highly elevated um, as we start the play. And that's Shakespeare um, asking you to see this character in a particular light. Um, He wants you to see his status. He wants you to see his achievement um, and uh, his, um, his ability to, to use narrative and actually to appropriate the language of the dominant society and, 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 and do it better. Um, his narratives are full of description, poetic devices, vivid imagery. Othello's poetic narratives are even compelling to Brabantio, Desdemona's father. We hear that he oft invited Othello to his home to tell the story of his life and even loved him. But when he marries 
Desdemona, who is a daughter of a patrician family, then you begin to feel the effects of the structural racism at the heart of the city. After Othello elopes with Desdemona, Brabantio's love turns to hatred and anger. A father might express anger at any man who elopes with his daughter. But when Brabantio confronts Othello, he expresses that hatred, as we noted in the last episode, in racial terms, asking how Desdemona could run away to the sooty bosom of such a thing as thou. Notably, however, those who favour Othello also express their feelings in racial terms. You might notice when you read the text that uh, often Othello isn't referred to by the other characters as Othello. He's often called the more over and over again. Um, and this objectifies him and objectifies his race and, his, and also his um, foreignness. The Duke says he's far more fair than black. And what he's doing there is he's elevating whiteness above blackness. Um, it, it's interesting because it sounds like he's saying, see how white some black men can be? And isn't that a great thing? Othello then internalizes the racism of, of the society in which he's, he's in. The way that society disparages Othello's race and the way he absorbs some of that racialized perspective is part of what undoes him. The other part, of course, is Iago's plotting, which also seems to be racially motivated. He also uses very inflammatory language. Um, the racialized tenor of the play actually comes a lot from Iago's speeches. Iago's most offensive language, the terms Barbary horse and old black ram, is spoken behind Othello's back. The language he uses to Othello's face is dangerous in a different way. The greatest skill he has and the reason why his language is so good is because he's one of Shakespeare's dissemblers. Iago's skill in dissembling or concealing the truth is key to one of the play's big questions. The question of why Othello believes that Desdemona is unfaithful. At the start of the play, Othello has such trust in her that he can say, my life upon her faith. And yet, Apparently, within a few days or even a few hours of Iago starting his plot, Othello will say, All my fond love, thus do I blow to heaven. Tis gone. This shift occurs because Iago can make his falsehoods sound extremely convincing. He's very gifted in his ability to manipulate people, and he's one of Shakespeare's great rhetoricians. He understands something quite central about the human condition. And this is what's dangerous about a villain that's so smart, is that he understands there's no such thing as reality. There's only perception. And so once you understand that, and you know other people don't necessarily understand that, then you can manipulate people's realities by manipulating their perception. When Cassio moves quickly off stage, Iago says he stole away guilty-like, planting the seed in Othello's mind that Cassio has some crime to hide. Cassio was, of course, only asking Desdemona to plead his case to Othello. But Iago also cleverly perverts how Othello perceives Desdemona's pleading. When she asks Othello to pardon Cassio, Othello interprets this request 
just as Iago suggested, as evidence that Cassio and Desdemona are having an affair. Iago is skilled at manipulating perception because he understands other people so well. This understanding of people is also central to another one of Iago's strategies. Use other people's weaknesses and mistakes in order to build your case. Uh, so Othello's insecurity as a foreigner, uh, as, a, as a black man in a white society or in a white space, is used against him. Cassio's inability to hold his drink. Desdemona's kindness and generosity and Amelia's desire for approval. So he understands these weak elements of these characters and he uses them to his advantage. Still, while Iago may be skilled at identifying Othello's weak points, those weak points only exist because society and its structural racism have created them. Even at the beginning of the play, before Iago begins to work his deception, Othello has a sense of insecurity as a foreigner. On one level, Othello is very aware of his capacities, of his authority, uh, his superiority in terms of his martial skill, um, and also his awareness of his achievement. Um, but he's also acutely aware of his position as an outsider in Venetian society. This awareness comes out in how Othello expresses his grief when he realises that Iago has deceived him. Before he takes his own life, Othello speaks of himself in terms that reflect how society sees him, as an outsider. The play begins with the threat of invasion from the ultimate other, the Turks. At the play's end, as we noted in the last episode, Othello represents himself as one of those enemy Turks. He retells the story of how he once killed a Turk who was attacking a Venetian citizen. In Aleppo once were a malignant and a turbaned Turk beat a Venetian and traduced the state, I took by the throat the circumcised dog and smote him thus. He then kills himself in just the same way as he once killed that other threatening outsider. Earlier I spoke about internalized racism uh, because he's sort of appropriating uh, the way often people of color have to, um, the sort of ways and means of the dominant culture. And that can be quite destructive to one's own sense of identity uh, and the sort of dignity of that identity. And at the end, when he kills himself, it becomes an act of shame and self-loathing that seems to embody a lot of the culture's fears of his own power, his abilities, his prowess, his skill, and his talent. If Othello's destruction is partly the result of these racialized fears, this raises another question. Is this a play that simply represents racism? Or is it a racist play? You can easily argue that it's racist if you get to the end of the play and you find that this character, this man, has been completely destroyed. And some people argue it is because of his own racial insecurities and those vulnerabilities were made available to Iago. Uh, and so... Um, he then falls into it, the old stereotype about black men, which is that um, he can, he's actually over-emotional, he's violent, uh, and 
not doesn't have the capacity for empathy and understanding and reason. And these were um, ideas that were circulating around at the time about Black people. So you could argue, yes, Shakespeare's landed on that, and that's the moral lesson. Um, I don't choose to see it that way necessarily. Um, I think the the issue not even doesn't even reside within Iago. It resides within the the structures that have forced them together in the first place, um, and those are deeply racist. And so is the the world that this play was written in, um, and that's all inherited. We're still dealing with that structure today. I don't know if it's a racist play. If you think about the depiction and the way in which people talked about Blackness in this time period, Othello doesn't always fit those categories neatly. Um, there is a an empathy. The fact that Shakespeare brings his eloquence back at the end, uh, because it sort of wavers in the middle of the play, his language patterns change and shift as his emotional state does. And so when he comes back to himself and um, it's full of pain and agony. His his eloquence reappears, um, which means that we are meant to to empathise. Othello's speech patterns are so significant because language in Shakespeare is the most important window into character. Othello begins the play as its most moving and poetic speaker. He is one of the most beautiful. Um, speakers in all of Shakespeare. I mean, people have referred to it as Othello's music. We'll look at one of those musical speeches in the next episode, when Othello recounts tales of his youthful adventures, of most disastrous chances of moving accidents by flood and field. But as the play progresses, his speech patterns shift and change. Um, and this aligns with his emotional and cognitive dismantling that takes place. Iago is systematically dismantling his his sense of self. The height of this dismantling occurs when Iago provokes Othello into imagining Cassio and Desdemona in bed together. Othello's language disintegrates into disjointed phrases and curses. Lie with her? Zounds. That's fulsome. Handkerchief. Confessions. Handkerchief. Pish, noses, ears and lips. Is it possible? But by the end of the play, he recovers his eloquence to speak movingly of Desdemona as a pearl richer than all his tribe. So Shakespeare, again, is using uh, language as something that is um, reflecting the inner life of the character. In Shakespeare, mind and speech are co-expressive. Um, and they're reflective of character, identity, status, and selfhood as well. Othello's restored eloquence at the play's end signals growth in his self-understanding and makes a renewed claim on our empathy. But how far is our empathy meant to go? We might see Othello as a victim of Iago's plot, but we see Desdemona too as a victim of Othello's violence. She demonstrates a fierce love and a commitment to him by defying the patriarchal demands on her 
uh, to marry according to her father's wishes. I mean, that is huge in this time period for a woman to go against her family's wishes, particularly a woman in an elite ruling family. So that seemed quite unthinkable. So she's this incredibly brave woman. But then as, as the play progresses and we find that she's starting to see a, a change in Othello's behavior, you could say it's really admirable that she's steadfast in her loyalty to him and protects him at the end. And so you can see that as actually that's a really admirable quality. Um, I think a radical feminist would want to see her resist his patriarchal rule as well. You know, his need to, to perform some sort of strange honor killing. Um, and she is, a, she is a victim of both Iago and Othello. Desdemona and Iago are described in terms of extreme virtue and vice. Desdemona is compared to an angel and Iago to a devil. But they're also more complicated than these simple labels would suggest. Iago is an intelligent person who is restricted by the class structure of his society. In Venetian society, it is absolutely impossible to socially climb into the patrician elite. There is a few, a handful of ruling families, and that will be the case for hundreds of years. Um, so you have these different people who are vying for um, some sort of status. So uh, Iago being one of them, and hence his resentment about um, Cassio's promotion. Um, and so you get a sense from him that maybe his resentment his anger, his cynicism is tied to um, the forces that have been weighing against him in his position in society. Desdemona is another strong and capable character, but she isn't immune to social forces either, including the forces of racial prejudice. When Desdemona says she saw Othello's visage in his mind, she's saying she was colorblind. Uh, which actually is an erasure of his racial identity and of his body. The play doesn't offer us a simple way of seeing Othello as merely a villain or victim, nor does it offer easy answers to the question posed by Othello's Venice. How should different groups of people negotiate living together? That's a question we still live with today. The play is asking us to respond to him um, not in a homogenous way. Um, we're all going to respond to Othello differently. The play enables an ambiguity of response, and it does so through this kind of dichotomy of Othello's own self-perception, the play's dichotomy of perception uh, of how we're supposed to see um, a multiracial society. Um, it's, it's Venice's own dichotomy. And it was a dichotomy that England was moving towards as well, becoming a mercantile economy. Um, and also, as we know now, the presence of people of colour and different cultures and different immigrant communities living in across London. Uh, so we, there's some echo there of, of London's own experience, England's own um, mirrored self um, in the, the representation of Venice. Um, so I think the play doesn't dictate to us how we're supposed to see Othello. Although it is set in the distant past, 16th century Venice, it is one of the most relevant plays today. Given the racial strife in our own times, we can connect to Othello in visceral ways. 
In the next episode, we'll connect to Othello through the unique music of his language. We'll also hear from one of Shakespeare's most radical feminists. And we'll address that great mystery of the play, the mystery of why Iago wants to destroy Othello so badly. 